What's going on, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Hamilton Train Podcast. If you are new here, welcome to the show. My name is Jared Hamilton. If we haven't ever met before, you have no idea who the heck I am. Um, now, today's episode is one I have been very fired up about because I haven't really told many people about this, like on Instagram or anything like that. But um, I had the opportunity to interview one of my favorite coaches. One, This is a guy that I've looked up to for years. Um from a coach to coach standpoint and from a me just appreciating what he does to like a bodybuilding standpoint as well. So I had the opportunity and honor to uh, interview Matt Jansen. So if you don't know who Matt is, Matt, Matt is, is, is one of the best coaches on the planet. Okay. Now Matt does still work with like general population people, but um, what Matt is very well known for and what I, how I learned about him years ago was his high level athlete clients, um, as in the ones in the Mr. Olympia. So for those of you of you who don't know, the Mr. Olympia is basically like the Super Bowl of bodybuilding. It's the biggest, biggest, baddest bodybuilding, um, in the, in the sport of bodybuilding, the biggest contest of the best in the world there is. And what, what happens is Matt has some, some of his clients will place like you know, like he's got guys like Chris Bumstead who just placed first and and is the current and reigning Mr. Olympia in classic physique or Sean Clarida. Who's like, I want to say he placed uh third in the, uh, in the two twelve men's bodybuilding division. And, and he has a host of other pros he coaches, but I don't think it's an accident that a ridiculous amount of his clients place at the best in the world. Like they place really well at the one contest. That's the best in the world. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to get Matt on here for a couple of reasons. Number one, I wanted him to really dive into the nug and gold and give you some golden nuggets in terms of the headspace, the expectations and how to actually go about bodybuilding. So whether you're a competitor or someone who's thinking about competing, you know, this is going to save you a lot of headache and failure. But also for those of you who don't even compete, who just maybe a normal person that doesn't, you know, that's not into physique competitions. I think this will give you a whole new appreciation for bodybuilding and for the level of, of craziness those guys have to go through, but also give you guys an idea of how not, not quite as crazy your stuff has to be. So I think no matter who you are, you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. So um, and the other, the other reason I wanted to bring Matt on is just for selfish reasons. I wanted to talk to him, Matt. Uh, I wanted to get to know Matt and I've just looked up to him for years and this was, uh, super amazing of him to just without any hesitation hopped on and said, yeah, man, I'd be honored to hop on your podcast. So, um, huge thanks to Matt for, for that. So, um, I'm going to shut up now and play the audio and, 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 and go next right into the audio, the zoom call that Matt and I did. So stay tuned guys. I hope you get a lot of value from this. I will talk to you soon. Back and forth and stuff. We've no, it's all good, this. dude. It's all good. So, <clears throat> yeah, man, I appreciate it. So, what are we gonna What are we gonna talk about? So, I wanted to get into um, a lot of stuff in terms of like from your standpoint on coaching in the bodybuilding world, especially with the 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 levels of athletes that you coach. You know, you're not yeah. just coaching. You know, just have a bunch of Mrs. Jones who's 40 wanting to lose weight or a bunch of just some guys that are wanting to hit it there. You're I mean, because you coach, you know, like the Chris Bumsteads and the Dallas McCarvers and those guys. And, um, you know, and so there's some stuff from that front that I was wanting to talk about. So. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, we are recording. So go ahead okay. before, before we get into all this, um, go ahead and just tell a little bit of, of your story, who you are, um, for those that don't know, you know, who you are. Okay. What's up guys. My name is, uh, Matt Jansen. I am, um, I started coaching 
full time in 2012. Um, and just kind of to, to backtrack before that, I've, I've always loved bodybuilding and you know, the pursuit of gaining muscle. And um, my mom tells a story about me now that this is my profession that she would always find me in grocery stores when I was a little kid flipping through flex magazines and stuff like that as she was grocery shopping. So it's kind of, I've, I've always loved it and, you know, been drawn to it. Growing up, I was an athlete. Uh, my primary goal was to get a scholarship to play soccer in college. Um, so that was my focus. So I started picking up, my dad uh, got a, like got an old flex uh, weightlifting set. So we had a lap pull down, a bench, squat rack, he got that uh, during my seventh, it was either sixth or seventh grade. Um, I really started to get into lifting about halfway through my seventh grade year. Um, and honestly, I've never really turned back. But during my high school years, um, I was training like a bodybuilder. Uh, but yet it was still always secondary to um, soccer. Um, my One of my really good friends who I'm still friends with today, his name is Jim Haymore. Um, he was, he was all into bodybuilding from a very young age and, and he kind of definitely helped me. He motivated me. Um, his physique was like far beyond our age. I, I always say like he was very well developed at an early age. Um, and we actually did the Titan method, which, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, but that's Leo Costa's training system. Mm. Um, and, uh, that has kind of transpired and Scott Stevenson has taken that and wrote and read a book on his training methods now and used a lot of Leo Costa's stuff. Um, so that was like my first ever training program. That was like what I was following to the T. So obviously I was, um, definitely not advanced enough to do it. I didn't have the muscularity or the strength to do it, but like from early on, I understood that, you know, you need to have a system in place. You need to be working on getting progressively stronger. Um, and so that's how I started. Uh, so then let's fast forward to college. I got injured my freshman year of college. Ended up getting four concussions and a pretty oh my gosh. Um, so at that point, I had to stop. Uh, and then that's when I fully just kind of devoted myself to not only learning as much as I can for this to be uh, my career, but also, you know, fully devoted myself to being a bodybuilder myself. Um, I did my first show in 2010. Um, and then from there, it just kind of took off. So when my wife and I got married, I moved from Georgia to Kentucky, to Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, and I had a few, I, I've, the way I was raised and just, you know, what's in, in, within me. Uh, my wife had a job at the University of Kentucky. I moved up there to be with her. I did not have a job right off the bat. So I actually worked at uh, Ted's Montana Grill. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's a it's kind of like an upscale burger restaurant, but I was uh, cleaning the restaurant every morning and then I was doing food prep work. Um, so I did that for, I want to say maybe three or four months. And then actually when I was in the, the food prep kitchen, I actually had another like three pound jar of pickles fall on my head. So then there was another, oh my another thing, like another concussion there. Um, but, but during that time I was building up my client base. And then I also, after that, I went to work, uh, at LA fitness as the, uh, personal training manager. I did that for a few short months during the winter. And then I think it was right around February or March of 2013. Yeah, this is 2013 now that I started. I, you know, I told my wife I wanted to go into coaching full time and I haven't looked back since. So I've been very blessed, um, to be able to do this and, um, have the success that I've had have the clients that I've worked with, have the guys trust me that have trusted me. And, uh, you know, it's brought me to where we're at today. 
That's so cool, man. I had no idea that that's how your story started. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now let me ask you this. Now, did you always start with like bodybuilders and more of high performance athletes or for a long time, did you ever coach like the Mrs. Jones who wants to lose 30 pounds? Well, no, I mean, I did. Uh, so again, I always, I give credit to this as well. So I, the first three clients, truly the first three clients I ever worked with, um, two of them are, are IFBB pros and the other one is now an IFPA natural pro. So when I started with all of them, they were not, they were not all pros, but my initial crop of clientele was, was really good. Um, and this just kind of word of mouth and, you know, in my area that, you know, people could tell that I was passionate. And, and I, the thing about me is when I competed, even though I wasn't big, I got into really, really good shape. So these other two guys that came to me, they were big um, and they had the muscularity, but they were having a hard time getting into shape. So I helped them and I continue to help them. Uh, David Kenny is one. He is an IFPA natural pro. I, I worked with him for his first show. And then he went on to work with Alberto Nunez after that. And I believe he turned pro in his second contest. Oh, um, Lloyd Herford, I worked with him for several years and uh, he turned pro at nationals as a middleweight in 2000. This was 2018, I believe. Um, and then Ryan Bear, she was the first pro card winner I ever worked with. She turned pro at USA's and figure in 2013. Um, so that was kind of my initial crop, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I mean, even to this day, like, um, I work with, with normal people, you know, even now, uh, you know, because I, I don't really turn people away that are willing to put in the work and that sure. also the biggest thing to me is that when somebody emails me, the thoroughness of their email tells me a lot about that person and that's what draws me to them. You know, how much attention and detail they put into their program if it's more than just, Hey bro, what do you charge? You know, like that, those kind of things stick out to me, you know? So I'm willing to, yeah. I'm not closed off to anybody. Now, obviously, yeah, I like, I really enjoy working with high level athletes. Um, it mentally really makes me engaged because it's, you, there's a lot of thought process involved. There's a lot of emotion involved. Um, you know, their, their careers, their, um, you know, financial situations are on the line, you know, and that really drives me hard to, to yeah. do my best for them. So that's awesome. And now if you weren't coaching, what would you be doing? Like if you weren't doing fitness and personal training? Um, well, so this is kind of the same thing, but my initial goal was to be a strength and conditioning coach at the collegiate or professional level. That was my initial, my initial goal. Um, I've always been drawn to like SWAT team. Like that's still something that kind of interests me. Not that I would do it today, but um, you know, maybe something police oriented, uh, you know, I would like to do. Um, but I honestly don't know. You know, I, I mean, I know that I don't want to coach for forever, uh, you know, and I've started really setting myself up for the future, which I, you know, for those of you young coaches that are out there, like that's something you guys need to really consider, um, you know, but I, I'm still going to be in and around, uh, you know, the fitness community and coaching and, and all that long term. Um, but I, I don't really know. You know, I mean, obviously, as, as a kid, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Well, that was, didn't pan out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always, like I said, I've always been drawn to the SWAT team and things like that. So maybe something in that realm. I gotcha. No, that's awesome. Um, so let me ask you this now in terms of like the high level bodybuildings and whatnot, in your opinion, just because you've coached with a, a mass amount of people and have like the guys at the Olympia level, um, what separates people who are just the top 10 in the Olympia and, you know, your average dude at an LA fitness, just trying to compete and get a pro card? 
Well, it's, it's mindset and, and genetics, really. I mean, those are the two things that really separate the top from the rest. Um, but yet there's a – the best guys – there's no there's no accident, no mistake in saying this. The best guys that I've worked with are also some of the most mentally tough, hardest workers I've ever really? dealt with in my life. You know, so, like, it's not like they're haphazardly just getting to the Olympia, but yet, obviously, the genetics – support them getting to the Olympia, you know, where they have that ability to, to put on that muscle maturation and to the level that they do. Whereas other people just don't have that, you know, I mean, I've lived, I've lived a bodybuilding lifestyle with several top pros for eight months at a time. And, you know, my response during that time, even though we were doing all the same things, eating all the same, not all the same meals, but eating the same types of foods relative to what we needed to be eating, uh, training at the same time, doing cardio together, you know, their response always surpassed mine always, you know, so that's, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to undermine or take away from the work because these guys are extremely hard workers. Um, and they're able to at times do things to their bodies that, that most people aren't even willing to go to that level to do. Um, but yet obviously the genetics plays a role for sure. Yeah, no, no, no that makes sense. Um, cause that's one of the things I was really wanting to talk to you about is a lot of the mental side of it. Cause a lot of the people that I'll see, um, whether the clients that I'm coaching or whatever the case is, um, like I'll, I've seen people like prep for like a year for a show and then like two months out, they just quit or, um, or where their headspace is off and they just, they have a hard time handling the, um, the mental side of all this. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to cope and how to handle the mental side of, of bodybuilding and really get your mindset in that place. Right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the, the mental, uh, part of bodybuilding or, or lack thereof, we should say, um, I think it's, it's definitely a part of every part of bodybuilding. So whether you've competed for the first time or you're on the Olympia stage, we all have the same struggles, you know, and, and, and honestly, there's a lot of top pros that don't handle their struggles very well. So, you know, I think we can kind of subcategorize bodybuilders into two categories. It's either the, the competitor that wanted a competitive channel after they stopped competing and whatever they were doing, or it's the people that were trying to compensate for either me, either being made fun of for a certain reason, or maybe being small growing up or maybe family structure growing up, whatever they felt that they needed to put on more muscle. Um, you know, so I, I noticed within my clients and the guys that I work with, the people that get into bodybuilding for, let's say, quote unquote, I don't want to say the wrong reasons, but for more superficial reasons, um, those struggle, those, those mental struggles, they never leave them. You know, they still, even at the top level, you know, they're still second guessing themselves. They still, um, just, there's times where they just really struggle. Like they're not confident with their physique. They're not confident with the level that they're at. Uh, they're always worried about what other people think about them. Um, you know, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have like this ultimate competitor that mm -hmm. realizes for them to be at the competitive level that they want mentally bodybuilding is that channel, you know, where they just, where they eat it up, where they feed off of these guys that are kind of mentally unstable. And they, you know, they, that's what propels them during their training because they don't, they're not worried about those types of things. Um, you know, like for example, like Nathan Diasha, he's a great example. First one, not first one to come to mind, but, um, he doesn't bodybuild for, uh, you know, like, not, I don't want to say selfish reasons, but superficial reasons. Like he bodybuilds because this is his channel to be as athletic, athletic as he can be, as competitive as he can be based off of where his body's at. 
You know, so like he doesn't care what he looks like in the off season. He doesn't care, you know, even at the Dubai muscle show. So he, he competed, I believe the last show was like the end of October, went on a health phase, came off everything, uh, was eating like three to four meals a day, obviously enjoying sweets and stuff with his kids, uh, at the Dubai muscle show. Um, we, we had this bike challenge and he just like rips off his shirt, not to say like, Whoa, look at me, but because he didn't want his shirt to be sweaty after the bike challenge. Now, a lot of guys in their heat or their off season or during a down phase or during a health phase, there's no way that they would take their shirt off right then because they're too worried about what everybody thinks. They're too worried about somebody getting a picture of them and not in pristine condition, you know, but where Nathan, like that wasn't even a thought process to him, you sure. know? Um, so Nathan's a good example of somebody that just like, this is his mental, this is his avenue to be the best that he can be. You know, he's not worried about the, all the superficial stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of like really heart to heart conversations I've had to have with guys like a few weeks out of the Olympia, a few weeks out of the biggest show of their career, you know, like where they're just really doubting themselves. So those of you guys, I'm assuming, I don't know what all your population is that listens to this, but I'm assuming it's more just like state, you know, level and then, you know, national level guys, like don't think that you guys are alone in the fact that you have mental struggles um, because it's, it's not the case. I mean, it's, it's real, it's, it's there at every level. What I would really encourage you guys to do is do this for the right reasons, you know, and, and do this for, um, you know, what initially, if you, if you think back to now, and again, you know, some of you guys might've been made fun of, but like, we all had that first love of bodybuilding where we just like love to train, you know, and we got into the gym every day and we love to work hard and push ourselves. Like if you can kind of get that back and not all this other, you know, nonsense, um, not only do I think you're going to progress more because you're not stressed about factors that don't really matter, but you're just going to enjoy it, you know? And so that, if I could say anything, it's just like truly just find the purity in bodybuilding, which I know that's a hard word to say because there's a lot of things about it that aren't pure, but you know, go back to, to why you started this or, or what made you be drawn to this or that love for the gym or, you know, those first few months when you were training and you were getting stronger every day and your weight was going up and like, that's what drew us in, you know? Um, so just try to keep that focused and, and you're going to be a lot better off. I like that, man. That's really good. Cause I, I see so many people that will like get into the competitor world from like just loving, they, they take, just like you said, the love of the gym, loving training. And then they're, they get into the bodybuilding world and it almost like burns them. And they just yeah. like, they, they, then they hate the gym and they just quit and get fat and they just hate their life. Is there, right. is there, a, is there a way for you to, that you, that, you know, other than just really remembering why you enjoyed the gym from like the get go, is there any way that you suggest for people to starting out to avoid that kind of initial burnout and the initial like, Oh, I went to some of the, something I love is something I can't fucking stand. Well, it's hard now because it's like, you know, like when I was coming up, um, I mean, there was no social media and, and I, I'm not trying to be an old timer here, but there wasn't, there wasn't, <laughs> wasn't any social media and now today, everything is, I would say a large majority of the people that are now like, oh, bodybuilding's cool is because of social media. So they see this image portrayed on social media that really is for, for a greater majority of people is, is unattainable. Um, you know, like Chris Bumstead, Chris Bumstead is, is Mr. Olympia in classic physique because he literally has a physique that is pretty much unattainable. Yeah. Um, now to the average person who doesn't really understand um, you know, structure and, uh, you know, shoulder to hip ratio and all those things. They probably don't see that because he's not a mass monster, but like, 
I have a better uh, chance of looking like Rami than I do like Chris Bumstead because Chris Bumstead is purely it's hard work. Yes. But it's, it's what his parents gave him, you know, versus in bodybuilding and Rami might've been a bad example because he's an outlier as well. But, um, in bodybuilding, it's about putting on as much muscle as possible, you know? Um, so to kind of, to rein that back in. So I think a lot of people get into bodybuilding today for the wrong reasons. And that's why they get burnt so fast because they don't really know why they're doing it in the first place. Mm. And they're chasing these images that are, that are portrayed on Instagram that they can't ever really get to, or they have this really false sense of security in terms of what true progress is or, um, you know, how, how quickly they should be progressing. Because again, what they see on Instagram, um, you know, and, and it just ruins them because of that. So like, just to give you guys an example, um, and again, I'm, I'm telling on some people here, but there's a lot of <laughs> influencers in the industry that take all their photos for, social media for the whole entire year within a two to three month span. Yeah, okay. I see that. Dude. So you guys, you guys watching and viewing this, you guys don't know that, or you guys don't realize that. So that's why you're being so hard on yourself. When in reality, the people that you're liking the photos of, they don't look like that either. Those, those pictures are old, you know, and everybody's showing a highlight reel on social media, you know? So that's why if you can love bodybuilding apart from social media, I think you're going to be a lot better off um, because it's not so much about like, all in the here and now of, of what do I look like today? You know, and, and I see it in the gym and I don't criticize people in the gym because I use my phone a lot in the gym. I use my phone um, for music selection a lot. And then I also use my phone. I love all my training in my notes section on my phone. So in between sets, I'm on the phone a lot. Now to, the, to somebody else, they could be like, oh, that guy's texting too. So I can text, you know, or, or whatever. But like, I'm not texting on, you know, when I'm in the gym, I usually have my phone on do not disturb. I'm in there to train. I have my music on. I'm, I'm logging my workouts, you know, but, but if I scope the gym, I go to LA fitness now. So I get, I see everything, you know, sure. um, I see a lot of people that are texting, sitting, texting between every single set. I see people that are, you know, trying to find the perfect light for a, you know, a selfie in between every single set. And like, you know, that's, that's real world now. Like when I started, like none of that, I mean, we, I mean, we had phones, but not really to the, the capabilities that they were today. Sure. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't nearly as popular, nearly as, as wanted as I was when I was 17. So people weren't texting me all day long. Um, you know, so like there's a lot less distraction back then. Um, and you know, for those of you guys that really want this, like you got to be able to remove distraction at least for an hour and a half a day. If you can't do that, then you have bigger issues, you know? So, um, just again, kind of going back to like the whys of, of why are you in bodybuilding? Like, is it, is it because you think it's something cool to portray on social media or is it because you truly love it? Um, you know, and if it is just truly driven by social media or likes or, you know, following, then you're going to get lost in the shuffle because it's, that's not reality. You know, that's not real. Um, so I don't know if that really answered your question. No, but. That, that very, very much does. No, because I think, I think you're exactly right. I see the same thing happen with like, just, you know, your average general population person like messaging me or um, I'll see people post stuff online. And a lot of people forget like a lot of these fitness influencers that aren't bodybuilders do the same thing. They'll prep for a photo shoot once a year, take 500 photos and there's their Instagram role for the next, you know, 18 months. Right, you know? right. Now you touched on this a little bit already and I'm curious if there's anything else within this. Are For you that you see 
are there any major misconceptions in the world of high level bodybuilding? Like you just said, like certain people have physiques that just structurally aren't attainable, you know, or, um, you know, people don't know that people prep for only that one photo shoot and they post that on Instagram for the next year and a half. Are there any other major misconceptions that hold a lot of people back that you see? Um, do you mean hold pros back or do you mean hold normal people back from attaining a better physique? Um, more, more normal people. Um, yeah, more, I would say more normal people, you know, you have like okay, your average so misconceptions again, going back to social media. Um, and even, you know, one of the first things I mentioned in this interview was genetics. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to kind of backtrack and say that you don't really know your genetic capabilities until you've trained extremely hard for five to 10 years. Mm. Um, and, and I say that because even within myself, like the longer that I train and, and the more that I bodybuild, the better my quote unquote genetics get. Now, are my sure. genetics changing? Absolutely not. Um, but it's like the realization of what your body is truly capable of. And I think people, again, like it's all instant gratification now. So if they're not achieving it right away, you know, they're, they're onto the next thing or they're frustrated or they're, or they're seeking for the next drug or the, you know, the next pill to take. Um, but honestly, guys, like, again, you do have your Chris Bumstead who had a really high, fast rise to the top. Like Phil Heath, the same way. Mm -hmm. um, but, but even within the Olympia divisions, you know, there's a lot of guys that it's taken them a lot of time to get to where they're at. I mean, for example, Sean Clarita, who I work with, yeah. Who would have ever thought that Sean Clarita, I mean, nobody outside of no our one. camp <laughs> thought that he was going to be third last year. Nobody. And I'll put money on that, you know? Yeah. Um, and look where he came from. But also look how much time it's taken him to yeah. get there. If the Sean Clarita that, that got third at this year's Olympia two years into bodybuilding was like, well, shoot, I, I I'm just must not be made out for this, you know, because I'm not, I'm not to where I need to be yet. And, and, and again, that instant gratification – um, you know, like when I started bodybuilding, my thought process was, okay, I need to do this as hard as I can do this as best as I can do this and see where I'm at in eight years. And I don't really think that people think that way anymore. You know, they, they get into this and they're like, oh, let's, you know, three months into lifting. They're like, oh, I'm going to do a show in eight months. No, like why? You know, like you haven't, you don't have any, haven't built anything yet. Right. Um, so the misconception of time, I would say is a huge misconception of what is, realistically capable within a snapshot of time. And you guys need to give yourself in every facet of bodybuilding, you guys need to give yourself more time than you think to grow. You need to give yourself more time than you think to really truly realize your genetic potential. Uh, you need to give yourself more time than you think to diet for a show. Um, so time I would say is a huge misconception. Um, happiness. I mean, this is the world in general, but happiness is another huge misconception. A lot of these guys are achieving a lot of wonderful things in terms of, trophies and championships and titles and they're still not happy um you know so you you need to know who you are outside of this you know if you don't know who you are outside of bodybuilding or outside your hobbies in general um it doesn't really matter what you accomplish um you're not going to be happy you know um and not to get like crazy so i saw this meme the other day that said my buddy posted it that said we picked the worst time in, in history to go into World War III because guys today can't even fight anxiety, which is like, it's true. You know, like anxiety, again, because of superficial reasons, 
anxiety within bodybuilding is huge. Like sure. when I was 16, 17 years old, I never even heard of anxiety. Like I, I didn't know what anxiety was. Like, yeah, sometimes you get nervous, sometimes you're a little jittery, but like now it's like all, it's like, you know, you have, you're, you have anxiety, you have anxiety, you need to take this, you need to take this. And that is rampant in the, in the, in the bodybuilding culture, you know? Um, people are, are taking drugs on top of drugs to, to help prevent another, you know, like to do another drug. Like it's crazy, you know, but I mean, the amount of people that claim now that they have anxiety and really for what, you know, is, is social media driving this anxiety problem is, is everybody's perception of what's reality when it's not really reality. Is that causing this anxious feeling, you know, amongst everybody? Because again, like, I mean, now there's times now where I definitely have anxiety, you know, like for example, if I take a day off of work, um, I know what anxiety feels like because I know as soon as I pick up my phone, I'm going to have 75 text messages. That's, mm-hmm. that's a little, that gives me a little, you know, anxious feeling, but like to, to diagnose anxiety, the fact that you can't function or, you know, like this is life. Like we have to learn how to deal with these things and not just, you know, write it off as we have a medical condition. Um, so I would say that too, like, you know, you, you know, do things for the right reasons. Um, the time component is huge within bodybuilding. Um, and then, and also too, not everything that you see is, is real reality. And the fact that a lot of these people, even though they're, they're attaining success, they're really struggling in a lot of ways, you know? So you need to, you need to find your whys of why you're doing what you're doing and not just jump on it because so-and-so is posting about it and you think it's cool or, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, 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 that, that, that's so valuable, man. That, that's one of the things I love about you is um, no one else talks about this stuff. I, I don't know a single other coach at your level that talks about any of the stuff you just mentioned in the last five minutes, but it's all like outrageously valuable, you know? Um, because I, I, you know, no one, no one talks about that stuff because it, but it's a, but yeah. it's massively important, but yeah. Now, now a few more from a tactical standpoint. Um, now this is one I hear a lot of coaches argue and bicker about and competitors argue and bicker about, and I've even seen this flow into the general population world, which uh, drives me crazy. But, um, and I know this is varies person to person, obviously, but do you have a specific set of like peak week principles? Cause you'll hear camp, people from camp a saying, Oh no, we have this crazy rigid peak week protocol, water manipulation, uh, sodium, potassium. But then you have the camp over here that preaches, no, you shouldn't, if you're conditioned, you shouldn't have to mess with that stuff outside of a couple small things. What's your thoughts on that? Um, uh, I think a proper peak week uh, can drastically change your physique. Um, that being said, I don't think the changes within a peak week need to be drastic in order to achieve that. Mm. So hopefully that encompasses both. Yeah. Yes, I think peak weeks are important. I'm not one of these guys that say, okay, we're just going to ride you in all the way in, yada, yada, yada. No, I always think that there's an opportunity to get better. And if you as a coach know what you're doing and you're paid attention to the variables a part of that plan, you should be able to get that person better. You know, uh, whether that's water, whether that's um, they're a little depleted and they need more nutrients, whether they, you know, their fat stores are low. Like there is something that you can do to make that athlete better within seven days or within 10 days or within three days, whatever you want to view it as. Um, But a lot of my variables I do write in, you know, like uh, I touch base with the athletes, you know, 10 to seven days out. And I make sure that we were exactly on the same page as where the water's at. Typically, if their water is a little low, I raise it at that point just a little bit. Um, if their water is on point, I tell them to just keep it as is until further changes. Uh, 
you know, and I usually, I definitely manipulate water with pretty much everybody uh, outside of a few variables, but um, I usually start to manipulate water anywhere from 36 to 16 hours out uh, of, of their contest, you know, so it depends on the, on the individual, depends on the person. Sure. Um, sodium, uh, typically as water goes down at some point, sodium's going to go up. Um, so that's another manipulation that I do. Uh, and then obviously just the food, you know, I mean, I, I don't believe in keeping meals the same all the way down. Even if it's just changing protein, I bring the protein needs down, uh, you know, because the need for the high protein amounts isn't, isn't really necessary. Um, as the carbs go up, the protein comes down, uh, typically towards the end, final few hours. If I've not added it up to that point, I put more fats in their plan. Um, and then obviously just making sure that they're as dry as possible. So whether that's, you know, um, utilizing more coffee instead of just strict water, whether that's using some diuretics. Um, you know, I definitely, I am a big believer in peak week. I don't just like riding people in. Um, and, and, and honestly, in this past year, I think some of my guys beat guys that they shouldn't have been able to beat because those guys just wrote in a plan really? versus us manipulating a plan. Um, like for example, I wish I had better documentation because, um, it just, I, I didn't have the foresight to see what was happening, but, um, or hindsight, whatever it is, but I think it was foresight. Yeah. <laughs> so Sean Clarita's peak week this year for the Olympia, the, the changes that he made within five days was probably some of the craziest changes I've ever seen. Um, now granted, if I would have just written him off as up, uh, we're not exactly where we need to be. I'm just going to do the best that I can. Let's just stick to the plan. You know, like he would have never gotten third place. Um, but like we did everything that we could to get him as best as we could within five days and, and it worked, you know, it was beautiful. Um, but again, like if I had been so headstrong that like, nope, like we're just going to stick to our guns. No, like, I, I mean, I changed everything, you know, I, but I knew what I was doing. It wasn't guesswork. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something else too. I document a lot. So I can go back and look at Sean Farida's seven days out from last year's Olympia look at the plan that we're doing um, and not, not really so much the food because the food is, is more so like uh, where in time you're at based off of the needs at that moment, you know, but like, you know, look at where his water intake was, look at where his cardio was, look at where his drugs were, you know, things like that. And, th and then go from there. Um, you know, so that's all a major part of it. No, that's, that, that's, that's awesome. No, that, that's super, that's super good info. Now let me ask you this in terms of peaking for the show, like, let's say you got peak week seven days out, but then getting them to, you know, when they step on that stage. Um, I know some guys like to use pump agents. Some guys like to um, use certain carb fat ratios. Some guys like to do their like hour out protocol where they're like getting their, their, their athlete ready to go to like look their absolute best. Is there any like day of in terms of like pump agents or um, spiking this or dropping that, that you like to use, like as an overall, obviously this is all, I know, independent on each person. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by pump agents? Like, I know some guys will use just like a, like a, like a non-stim, yeah, like non-stim pre-workout uh, yeah. or, or um, like some guys pounding, I, I see guys pounding like Coca-Cola right before they hop on stage and just stuff like that. So yeah. I didn't know if there's anything like that, that you have your guys use. I, I'm a big fan of, uh, using salt. Um, and I usually use salt and some fluid. And then also some type of, uh, you know, fast sugar. Um, I've seen, I've seen soda work beautifully. And I've also seen soda backfire because of the carbonation of it. So mm -hmm. like, 
I'm very, if somebody needs to, for me to use Coke, um, somebody needs to, to kind of be off the mark in terms of overly depleted, overly sucked down, overly dry. That's when I'll put Coke in. But if somebody's like right on the line of like being right on the money, um, I'd rather not use the risk of using something with carbonation in it or simply something they haven't used in 16, 20 weeks, whatever long it's been. Um, but I like using salt. Uh, I, I definitely, I raise the salt up typically even right before they get on stage, they have like a, you know, a few shots of salt right in their mouth some water. Typically, most times I use honey um, because it sits well in people's digestive tract. Mm -hmm. I've had um, issues with, with jelly, so I, I kind of removed jelly out. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes people felt like it just sat in their upper gut. Um, but yeah, so I don't really, uh, the last hour, the, the, obviously the last hour, the food goes down. I'm not a big proponent of having people eat a lot of food backstage. At that point, in my mind, you should be ready to go. Um, it's more so about just getting like a dense sugar source in, uh, a lot of sodium and then a little bit of fluids typically. Got it. Got it. Now, now transitioning back to, uh, let's say shows over now, a lot of talk about like the, um, that, that magic window after a show's over and they gain 20 pounds in a month or, um, but some guys get just outrageously fat. So is there a way that you like to have your athletes come out of a show in terms of like reverse dieting or uh, strategic refeeds or especially considering if they did that one show, they're probably going to continue doing shows. So sure. is there ways you like to have someone come off of a show where they um, go back to reality, but also um, don't just get fat either? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I'm a huge proponent of a, of a, of a rebound phase when it's done properly. Um, I typically, I give the person Again, it's there's there's different circumstances here, but typically usually usually let them enjoy whatever they want the night of the show. Um, and if if I can control it, sometimes they don't let me control it. But if I can control it, I would prefer that they have one meal the next day, and then they get back on plan, and then um, or even maybe two meals the next day, and they get back on plan. So again, when it, when a rebound is fully in my control, and that means that an athlete just doesn't go off the hinges and lets me do what I I believe I need to do. So I give them the freedom of say two to three meals that they have. They wake up Monday morning and I have them get right back on their contest prep diet that they were on the previous Monday. Okay. Cause what I want them to do is I want them to get back to a stable weight. So, you know, three cheat meals, water depletion, all that. Most people are going to be up eight, eight to 13 pounds, I would say, which is truly just water weight. I think it's very important to get that water weight up before you start pushing the calories up or else you're going to be in a watery environment for a long time. Okay. So get that initial water to clear. Um, typically if you stick to the plan within four to five days, that water is going to clear. Obviously now you've reintroduced water, your water's stable. So now we've come to Friday or Saturday of the next week. Now I let them have another two cheat meals. Um, I make sure that it's important that they get back to their loved ones and the people that supported them during their prep. Um, and what you're going to see from those next two cheat meals is now that everything's back and regulated and their water balance is intact, that you don't get nearly as bad of a rebound effect from those two meals. Um, and then the following Monday, let's say they might now be up from, let's say they're up four pounds from their, their contest prep low at this point. Okay. Then I start their rebound from there. Um, and that's when I start to bring the calories up. Um, and, and then go from there. And honestly, with a, with a small calorie jump, you can usually ride that for a long time. So, 
Um, I truly, those of you guys that are listening, I truly have seen some of the best tissue progress um, through well-executed rebounds. Um, you know, and, and I mean that 100%. So those of you guys that are serious, um, I'm going to say two things here. Those of you guys that are serious, really take your rebound serious. And those of you guys that are on the fence about, about when to compete because you're younger, um, I always encourage guys that, yes, you need to add tissue, but the if you go through a contest prep, if you get in true stage shape and then you rebound out of that, that is going to expedite and excel your progress more so than just continuing a long-term off-season phase for you younger guys. Um, you know, so I would highly suggest – um, you know, competing for the sake of not really benefiting from the competing, but more so benefiting off the rebound that's going to come to follow when it's done properly. No, that's awesome. That's, that's, that's super valuable. Um, cause I know listening to this, we've got, you know, people that are like competing for the first time or guys that kind of dabble in, in, in a lot of this stuff is, is, is really good. This is all, this is all amazing. Now for you, I like to call them the unsung heroes, like in the world of like training and nutrition and bodybuilding, like everyone's talking about, um, let's say just their overall diet and calorie intake. They're talking about macros. They're talking about training, but for you, are there any, like what I call unsung heroes, like whether that be talking, you know, no one's talking about digestion or sleep or stress levels or happiness or that kind of stuff or mental health. Is there any unsung heroes, so to speak, that you think are massively important that no one really talks about because it's not exciting? I wouldn't say that nobody really talks about it because I think especially today, everybody talks about everything, but um, the, the one thing that sticks out to me that kind of just spurred my mind as you said, this is the longer I've, I've been bodybuilding, um, the more I really believe that there's value to rest days. Um, I do not believe that you should train. Honestly, if you're training hard, I really don't see any reason why you, people should be training more than five days a week. Uh, there's, there's, definite value to rest days the longer I've gone in my career um, the more I've implemented strict rest days uh, the more I've progressed out of them um, you know and I, I've done a lot of like video series on Camp Jansen so a lot of the things that we're talking about are pretty relevant videos that I've done like I did a full series on, on rebounds I, I just did a, a touched on on off days and the importance of them but like um, one of the things that's important to me with Camp Jansen, the, the app and the website, is to share my failures. Um, so when I was younger, when I was younger in bodybuilding, um, you know, like because I, I'm, I'm mentally, I'm mentally a tough guy. Like I would always kind of mentally trick myself into not taking rest days because I'm like, no, Matt, like you're stronger than that. You don't need to rest. Like you can train. Um, you know, but here's what here's what you need to see, guys. Is like the purpose of training is to make progress. Okay. The purpose of training isn't to recover, to be able to do the same amount of work over and over and over. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're doing that, you're missing the point. It's not, you don't, the goal isn't to go into the gym every seven days or every day of the week and lift the same weight over and over, you know? So if you're just able to do that, that means your body isn't truly recovering to the point to be able to expect it to do more work. Um, so that's mistake number one that I made. Mistake number two that I made is outside of the mental aspect of like telling myself I was stronger and didn't need to rest was on my plan rest days. And a lot of you guys might see this as well. Your nutrition is less. Okay. So I wouldn't take rest days because I didn't want to eat less food. Mm -hmm. That also is, is very amateur in a thought process. You know, like 
Um, and, and I think a lot of people struggle with food amounts. And especially if you are, you know, you're coming out of a show and you're very hungry. Um, you're like, man, I don't want to take a rest day. I got to eat less, you know, and that was my mindset for a long time. Um, the rest day isn't there to punish you to eat less food. The rest day is there to allow you to be able to do a greater level of work. And possibly at that point, your body might not need as much food on that day. Now we could get into a whole talk about rest day nutrition. Um, which I actually, my mindset on rest day nutrition is outside of the nutrients you're taking right around training. I honestly think the rest of your day should remain the same because the goal is to recover. So if your body is used to recovering on a set amount of work, a set amount of food, um, why would you lessen that food on the day that you're taking off to prioritize recovery? So anyway, that's another thought process, but, um, <laughs> That, that's, that's a thing for sure is I would say that there's, there's definite value in rest days and taking them, um, especially to the younger generation. Now, now, yes, you have those guys that train seven days a week that did quite well. You had Milos who trained. Milos and I had a conversation one time. I don't remember how many days it was. I think he said he can train. He trained like 540 consecutive days or something like that oh twice gosh. a day. Like something just absolutely insane. Now, obviously, he's a top, top IFBB pro. So does it work? Yes. But we need to look at the most of us are not genetically at that level. So we need to look at the guys that don't have those genetics that are achieving great things and then replicate what they did. Um, and that's why, like, that's why I'm such a big fan of Dorian. That's why I talk about Dorian all the time because I think Dorian, Dorian truly had it figured out because he was in an era where he wasn't the most genetically gifted, but yet he was beating everyone um and how did he do it he did it through hard hard training he did it through sets to failure he didn't do any pump work he took three days off a week um he was meticulous with his food year round so he was he was out thinking and outsmarting everybody else and that's why he was where he got where he was it wasn't yes he obviously he had genetics and he had the genetics to get big but he didn't have better genetics than flex wheeler i can guarantee you that he didn't have better genetics than sean ray he, you know like he just didn't um, but yeah, he was beating these guys. So, so why, you know, like figure that out for yourself and then go from there. Yeah, no, no, no. That makes so much sense. Cause I, I, I think you're hundred percent right. People, you know, guys in the gym talk in their little, little crews talking about like one person wants to take a rest day and everyone's like, Oh, you're such a pussy. Like, yeah, you're on. weak, man. Yeah. It's yeah. not like that. You know, no. like for example, I, uh, this week I have Nick Walker and Kyle Wilkes coming back into town. Last night we had a group text about, um, about our training split for the week when they were here. And, and I specifically said, I said, guys, like we, we have to lay this out because we cannot train five days straight. Like we're going to bang each other and, you know, into the ground and it's, it's just not going to be beneficial at that point. So let's get a plan in place to make sure that we're recovered so that way we can keep training hard the whole time you're here. You know um, now three years ago, I wouldn't have said that three years ago, I literally probably would have trained six times in the five days that they were here. Um, but yeah, I've matured from that. And I realize that it's not just about going in the gym and training. It's about making progress. And if you're not making progress for me, there's no point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Cause at the end of the day, that's this, this is just a chess game of progress. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now wrapping things up, let me ask you this. What advice would you give to someone listening right now? That's going to compete in their first show. There's just like starting off. It's their very first thing. Um, you know, other than subscribing to Camp Jansen, obviously, which would be super beneficial for them. But like, what, what, what advice would you give right now um, going into somebody's first show getting ready? Um, 
find one person that you can trust and listen to and listen to them and don't listen to anybody else. <laughs> I love uh, it. <laughs> that would be the first thing. The second thing would be to give yourself longer than you need to get into shape. Um, the next thing would be to find a spot in your house that depicts a true definition of where your physique's at at all times. Um, so you can continuously take progress pictures there. Progress pictures, especially for the beginner are such an asset because it tells you exactly where your physique's at. So, for, so guys listening to this, find a spot in your house where there's natural light, where there's not shadows, um, where during multiple points of the day, you can take pictures there and it's not going to be like, Oh, well, there's a shadow or, you know, like you just want a consistent lighting. All right. Um, get up twice a week, take your pictures there. And then just keep putting pictures side by side. If you're making progress, don't change anything. If you're not making progress, then figure out what you need to change. Um, but progress pictures tell the story every time, you know. So, uh, you know, take them, take them often. Um, don't take them too much to the point where you're expediting your your plan because you're overthinking your progress. All right. So that's why I say maybe twice a week. Um, you know, even myself last prep, I got into a bad habit of not allowing my plan enough time to work because I was taking too many progress pictures in the morning and then I was expediting my plan and then I, and then I ran out of room, you know, like I, mm. I didn't have any more changes that I can make kind of thing. So, um, I would say those three things, find somebody you can trust, turn out all, you know, kind of tune out all the other noise. Um, and I'm not like, that could be your best friend. It doesn't, it doesn't, it could be your mom. Um, my mom was a great asset to me when I first started bodybuilding. Now Jordan, my wife is a great asset to me when I first, you know, when I'm bodybuilding, like Jordan can take my progress pictures in the morning. And I know by the look on her face without her even saying anything, if I'm on the marker, or I'm not, I, I just know, you know, um, if she's, if she has like this, like questionable look on her face, I know that I'm off. Mm. Um, you know, so get to know that person that you can trust at that level and, um, and then just run with it. Have fun. Uh, try to be as regimented as you can. And what I mean by that is try to, as best as you can, try to train at the same time every day um, and, and just be regimented, you know, uh, and, and don't tune out. Don't tune out the world either. You know, don't tune out your parents. Um, don't tune out people that, that have supported you. Don't tune out your friends that you played ball with. You know, as long as, as long as they support you within what you're doing, don't shut those people out because there's going to come a point in your prep where you're going to need them, you know? Sure. Um, so that, that I would say is beneficial as well. Awesome, man. Dude, that, that's so valuable. Um, now, let me, now let me, last thing, where can people find you? They listen to this, they're like, holy shit, I either want to coach with them, I want to hop on Camp Jansen, or I just want to find this guy on Instagram. Where can people find yeah. you and reach out to you and whatnot? Okay, so if you guys go to on Instagram, the easiest thing would be to go to Instagram and go to Matt Jansen 8. That's my Instagram page. Um, and I try to, as best as I can, give you guys as much value on my Instagram page as I can. Um, you know, I want to be a constant source where you can go to for information or to pick up something or to learn something. Um, and yes, like I, I train a lot. So um, I don't have this like, look at me philosophy on Instagram and more so like, how can I help you? You know, whether it's through my mentality or, or my approach to training or whatever, like I just want to give you guys information. Um, so through my Instagram, you can have access to, I have like a link tree at the bottom. You have access to everything else. You have my emails, you have everything there. Um, and, and as far as like Camp Jansen goes, guys, like honestly, I want Camp Jansen to transcend far beyond when I stop coaching, you know, so I'm trying to pour as much detail and information on that website as possible. 
um, you know, anything uh, contest prep related, um, training related, nutrition related, that's what it's about, you know, so it's a resource you guys can go to. I'm actually getting a search engine put on the website this week oh, because I have now, I have three years worth of videos. So I feel like that some of my videos are starting to get lost. Um, so we're putting a search engine on there so you guys can type in keywords, maybe pull up a video from three years ago um, that could be applicable to you now, you know, because a lot of this stuff like bodybuilding is not changing as much as people want to think that it's changing, you know, like the, the variables the things that work that have stood the test of time, they're there for a reason, you know, so just find what works for you. Um, don't be closed minded, but don't always think you need to be trying the latest and greatest and newest thing. Uh, but yeah, so that's where you can find me, Matt Jansen eight, um, my email, everything's there as well. Awesome brother, man. Um, no, dude, this is, this is amazing. I really appreciate you hopping on here and yeah, providing so, a, a lot of, a lot of value, man. I know it's kind of back and forth getting, getting this call set up with all the technical bullshit last week. So, um, but yeah, man, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Um, and if you have like, uh, Instagram graphics and swipe ups and all that, just send them to me and I'll be happy to post them. hundred percent. All right. Awesome, brother, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, dude. Thank you for having me on. Awesome, man. Talk soon. All right, guys, thank you once again for listening to today's episode of the podcast. It means a ton to me, um, and it means a ton that, that that Matt was willing to hop on here and let me pick his brain for a little while and talk about his stuff. But yeah, I hope you got a lot of value from this. Like I said, whether you're just somebody that's just wanting to lose some weight and you know just kind of have a different perspective on all this stuff, but also, or you could be a, a, someone who wants to do a bodybuilding show, and, and this really helps set a proper precedence and uh, mindset and things that you need to know going into it. So. Um, yeah, thank you once again for doing that for me and listening and being um, being here. Now, one thing I ask of you is to, uh, is two things. Number one, if you could rank and review the podcast for a couple of reasons. Number one, in the podcast world, that is the only way to be able to climb through the ranks and actually get this podcast to more ears. And that's the whole point of this. You know, the point is to get this podcast to as many people that will listen to it to help everybody. So, if you could uh, rank and review the podcast for me, that would mean a ton. But also. If you have someone that you're thinking of right now that you are listening to this and you're like, oh, I bet so-and-so would benefit from this. or Oh, I bet so-and-so would love to hear this. Or, oh, we just were talking about this the other day. Send this episode to them. You know, don't, don't, be, don't leave all the info for yourself, so to speak. Um, if there's someone that, that pops into your head that you think would benefit from this, send it to them because you don't know it could very well change their entire situation. So again, thank you so much for being here. I love you. I'll talk to you later.